Welcome, Dad, back to the seventh episode in the Father and Son Pastoral Podcast. This is from the Jesus Said That series, looking at every word Jesus spoke in the New Testament. As you know, and as we've studied, today's podcast is entitled Jesus' First Temple Cleansing, mm -hmm. which is taken from John 2, 13 through 25. Uh, before we get started, it's exciting. It's Christmas time. Um, we're getting prepared. Uh, I, th I think it's important to prepare our hearts for Christmas. It's not just a time of festive uh, celebrations, but it's a time to focus on the birth of Christ, his first coming and also his second coming. So uh, I know I am very excited about this time of year since I'm kind of a Christmas nut. So we swung the camera around for those who are joining us on YouTube and can see the Christmas tree. I also see you're trying to economize, you know, the great thing with me being uh, a Ken and you being a Ken and then now having uh, Kenneth, yeah. <laughs> uh, right? You know, you can keep down. No, I'm just joking on the number of stockings, but we, you know, have a new addition to the family for this Christmas to mm -hmm. celebrate. And, and that's just an enormous blessing really as well. Is. Yeah. So today, as we look at Jesus's authority, we ha are faced with our main question. Why was it justifiable for Jesus to kick people out of the temple? By what right, what authority, why could he do that? Mm -hmm. And a main thought that I hope all of our listeners will think about today, reflect on as we go over this passage. As a Christian, your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So what authority does God have over your body? Uh, I think that is a question that we all really need to think about because it has giant implications for our life. And your connection is beautiful because in the Old Testament, uh, with the tabernacle and in the temple and God's presence, uh, today we're privileged to be uh, that temple. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Jesus is only going to say a couple um, simple statements once again. I'm always amazed when you read through scripture. He doesn't really say a lot. <laughs> right. I mean, he does in his sermons, but a lot of times he's kind of just tells his story or mm -hmm. to the point, depending on his audience. But mm -hmm. uh, Jesus is going to say, get these things out of here. Mm -hmm. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Yeah. How relevant is that today? Uh, mm -hmm. The church has turned into a marketplace where mm -hmm. people are just kind of piggybacking on God just mm -hmm. to bring in uh, lots of money. Yeah. Jesus is going to address that today and destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Mm. Uh, one of the statements that's going to get him executed in the future. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so uh, let's just jump right into the text. Mm -hmm. The Jewish Passover was near and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Um, as you always preached, you always go up to mm -hmm. Jerusalem due to the incline. Mm -hmm. Now you've been there. Uh, what does it feel like? I mean, I know you're driving up mm -hmm. to Jerusalem, but sure. does it feel kind of like, you know, when you're driving through West Virginia, those kind of areas when you're just going? Yeah, it might know? not be as pervasively high, but you get that feel. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's intriguing because you always go up to Jerusalem because of the altitude. But there's also, I think, maybe uh, a hint here because of it being a special uh, city. I just had jotted down Psalm 48.2, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. I mean, what a city. And uh, so it's physically elevated and then it really should be spiritually elevated because one day where we're gonna be uh, forever and ever and ever in the new Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. so. 
that it makes you think. Um, isn't it true too that that's where uh, Abraham, they believe, went to sacrifice Isaac? A yeah. lot of people think it was on on Mount Zion. They actually have a, a marker there at the Ndomata Rock where uh, now the Muslims would say it was Abraham uh, sacrificing Ishmael, but they they believe they know the literal spot, which oh. is right there, what they call the Temple Mount. Wow. So absolutely. So I have just a couple notes here that if you're starting in Jericho, um, you always hear about the Jericho Road, <laughs> traveling about 720 feet below sea level. And then when you get to the city of Jerusalem, it's about 2,450 feet above sea level. Yeah, so so that's quite a journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always like to point out because it's one of those things that makes you stop in your tracks. Uh, in Israel, the lowest spot is the Dead Sea. Yeah. And that is 1,412 feet below sea level. Yeah. Um, it is believed that this is the lowest place on planet Earth. Right. Um, and this is where... We also believe the city of Sodom was located and was destroyed for the sin of sodomy. What's uh, such a surprise there is the beauty huh. of the area. I hear Dead Sea and I'm thinking ugliness. Uh, but David hung out at times in Qumran when he's probably hiding from um, Saul uh, right across the way. But it's it's a beautiful look uh, to the place. And, and one day, you know, as you're reading through Ezekiel in the last number of chapters, you find out that although you have this high salt content, I think it's 31 to 33% salt. Well, you were in it. Yeah. Yeah. I floated <laughs> in it. I, you know, and, and my mistake, I, I had shoes and I wore them in and I went to put them out in the sun uh, to, to dry and they harden like bricks. So, so much for those, uh, <laughs> pair of shoes. Uh, but, uh, it, it's so, uh, interesting. Uh, not only the beauty there, but as you point out that Sodom is located under, but in the millennial kingdom, God is going to bring life, uh, to the Dead Sea again. And that's the, uh, a different temple than we're talking about today, but the millennial king, uh, temple from, uh, Ezekiel 40 to 48. But, uh, yeah, I, people get surprised when I tell them how pretty, uh, the landscape was. Well, if you think of that, I mean, that's what Lot chose. It was choice land around Sodom and Gomorrah. That's right. Uh, it was Good point. beautiful. Yeah. But then because of their gross sin, which we can read about. That's right. God destroyed uh, it. It became the lowest place on earth. And when you really think that's where people perhaps have been buried, yeah. uh, entombed, uh, it's it's a point that I think is worth noting. Uh, yeah. So as we jump back into this, verse 13, the Jewish Passover was near. And so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. This is after his, obviously... His miracle, first mm-hmm. miracle. So there's probably some people, maybe there's murmurings going on at this time, but he's mostly unknown. Mm-hmm. So he goes up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves. And keyword is there in the temple. Mm-hmm. And he also found the money changers sitting there. So interesting, you know, the history of uh, the temples. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, uh, you, we, we think of two, uh, there are others, but then uh, the one under Solomon. Yeah. Uh, that, that really dates back some time. Uh, we believe Solomon uh, ruled from like 970 to 930 BC. So uh, approximately 966 uh, is when the work begun on had begun on that. And then what we think about in our text today is what is uh, often referred to Herod's uh, temple because of all uh, the buildings that he erected to curry favor uh, with the Jews. Actually, just a quick uh, side note, in Matthew 24, 
when uh, Jesus is at the uh, temple and he's talking to his disciples, they're the ones who want to show Jesus all the buildings in the region. And I, I find that interesting. But as you had commented so aptly, uh, what has taken place here is within the temple confine. And uh, they should have had stores outside of the temple. And archaeology shows that. Yeah, called believe. the Royal Stoa. And um, so there was a place which would have been appropriate because you were traveling to mm. uh, Jerusalem, you know, as you were commanded to do three times uh, a year for the uh, Jewish male. And, um, you know, you have to, you didn't come with all your animals for sacrifice. And you this is also where they would exchange the money. Uh, important yes. point. And because when I always think about those coins, they yeah. weren't allowed to have coins with those images yeah. on them in the temple. So you would have outside the shops, yeah, and that's where it was supposed to take place. But as we see here, it looks like there was an overflow into the court of the Gentiles. Yeah. Now, this is when it's frustrating that's a podcast. I know it goes on YouTube, but we don't like really superimpose a lot of graphics or anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I preached a sermon. And I had a, a 3D flyover of the old uh, Jerusalem. Yeah. And it was so cool when you could look at Jerusalem and then you could look at the temple yeah. and then you could see the court of the Gentiles is basically the outside. Yes. And then there's that, you know, that little wall that says, if you dare cross this, you will get executed because yes. <laughs> yes. uh, Gentiles were not allowed beyond that. Right. And then all the Jewish would go beyond that. And then you had the court of the women and then the priest quarters and so forth. But what it seems like is happening here, as we both believe, is that the, from the shops outside or even there's a porch up where you could sell things, it all went into the court of the Gentiles. Yes. So I'm just imagine here I am, mm -hmm. I'm a Gentile. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And let's say I'm a Passover, I'm trying to worship my God. Yeah. And all I hear is, <laughs> buy a sheep here, change your money here, do this here. That's right. I used the illustration when I was preaching. Imagine if it was one of your sermons. You know, we had one of the deacons saying, you know, peanuts, popcorn, yeah. buy them right here. And then someone else saying, here's a Bible, buy this Bible, buy this book, buy that. And just all these people are yelling as you're trying to pray, trying to worship, trying to focus. So um, we really see why Jesus is angry. Yes. It's just hindering worship, yeah. all for commercialism. Um, so it says in verse 14, in the temple, he found the people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. They were not where they were supposed to be. And the money changers. Oh, such an interesting <laughs> uh, thought here. Uh, literally, the term means to cut small. So they're, they're making change. Um, Exodus uh, chapter 30 and verse 13 had prescribed for the Jewish male, 20 and above, those who could go to mm -hmm. war would uh, have to give a, a temple back then or a tabernacle tax, yeah. half a shekel. It was yeah. a, a prescribed amount. So uh, these, um, I want to call them clowns, but these, you know, <laughs> money changers. Religious uh, men. Yeah. I seem religious. Right. Uh, they're probably having an exorbitant exchange rate where they're cheating the people that have traveled far to come and worship God. So you can see the Son of Man uh, becoming livid uh, because of the abuse of uh, the fellow yeah. Jews, and rightfully so, because they had to travel, mm -hmm. they had to exchange coins, and they got abused in the process for trying to worship their God. Yeah, this is worship. And yeah. We're not talking about America here, yeah. where set price, do this, 
Right. We're talking Middle East where everything is, yep. I do this, you say this, I go back. So there's a lot of haggling, a lot of noise. Right. A lot of noises going on at this time. Yeah. So after making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple mm -hmm. with their sheep and oxen. Mm -hmm. He also poured out the money chargers coins and overturned yeah. the tables. Now, you made an interesting point about the temple tax earlier. Yeah. And that's why we think only Peter, and obviously Jesus was about 30 years old, but Peter was the only one we know who paid the temple tax. Mm -hmm. So that's why we know uh, Peter was over 20, mm -hmm. you know, at the whole miracle of, you know, cast, catch the fish, pay mm -hmm. the temple tax. And that's one of the reasons why we think the other disciples were probably under 20 years old. Yeah. I mean, totally side, that's referring back, but just it's kind of based off of that. So here he is, and he overturns the table. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is very angry that the religious leaders had put selling the selling of goods above the Gentiles worshiping their God. That's right. Uh, this was his father's house, and he was clearing it out. Yeah. Uh, I I told the teens because I also taught them this passage. Imagine you're in your house, or you're in your father's house, and just strangers are coming in, mm. taking stuff out of your fridge. Yeah. You know, selling off stuff. You would say, "Get out of here." Um, that's what Jesus is doing. I, I like to point out there's an interesting Old Testament passage. Huh. It's a Malachi chapter three, and it's pertaining to Jesus' second advent with the purging that goes on. But listen how it is stated. Uh, Behold, I send my messenger, reference to John the Baptist, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Clearly now moving to uh, the second coming, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. Uh, it's kind of interesting that even with his first coming, he is confronting those who are abusing the temple. How much more, you know, with the second yeah. advent is he going to purge uh, the nation? Well, we see in his short ministry of three years, he purges it at least twice. Yeah. At the beginning of his ministry and at the end. Yeah. I guess he had him scared the second year. <laughs> who right. knows? Yeah. But um, and then that's so fascinating. He comes back. Yeah. And then he's going to do it again, yeah. so to speak. So. Um, he told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Mm. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. And that comes from uh, Psalm 69. Yeah. And here's David. He's really struggling. But we often miss the context. Um, one thing I've learned about Jesus, when he quotes something, not only does he obviously make his quote accurately, mm -hmm. but he generally quotes the context because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the context applies to his situation. Yeah. Notice what David says, for I have endured insults because of you and shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers mm -hmm. and a foreigner to my mother's sons mm -hmm. because zeal for your house has consumed me and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Mm. Now, we always teach, she always teach, yeah. What's the context of this verse? If right. you go back to John 2, 12, right. it says, after this, he went down to Capernaum yeah. together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and he stayed there for only a few days. That's right. Um, I have written down here from John Walvert. He wrote, 
From this point on, he seemed to be alienated from his family and his hometown of Nazareth. As we talked about in our last podcast, uh, John 7, 5 mm -hmm. says that Jesus' brothers rejected him until after his resurrection. So I think it's amazing that Jesus at this point seems to be separated from his earthly brothers. And he quotes the Psalm of David, which context is David's brothers or those around him have become strangers to him. I think you've nailed something that is often overlooked, picking up the context there. Mm -hmm. And I love the quote by Walvoord because it brings this home. So I, I, I think what you have latched onto should be noted by everyone because it continues to build into the narrative of, of Jesus and being rejected by his own family, uh, in part, and then the nation. So this is, this is great material and people should be highlighting and jotting these references down in your Bibles. Well, we're going to see it's his family. Yeah. His town, the cities around him, and then finally the religious establishment. You know, and they're going to get the final say, obviously, with Rome's approval. And Jesus calls this my father's house mm -hmm. uh, back in 216. And I just love his zeal because he's not overly concerned even about what his biological family, yeah. you know, uh, thinks or even what the nation thinks. It's the zeal oh. for his father uh, that is absolutely consuming him. Right. And what a an interesting thought just for a moment here between misrepresentation and proper representation. Uh, the people seem to pick up and even Jesus's family perhaps are intimidated because so many are saying, look what your son is doing. He's wrecking, you know, the temple and all these <laughs> accusations are flying, which is the misrepresentation. Exactly. And then even his brothers who are not believing on him. But then you also consider the accurate representation. He's just done a miracle. Mm. He's had a perfect character. He's exhibiting a zeal for his father's house. So we have to be really cautious in this life because you always have the misrepresentation oh, and then you also have the correct representation and, and the nation and his family miss it. And and he gets it. You do everything for the father. You don't worry what people say. That's right. Not being a people pleaser. That's right. So Jesus cleans the temple out. Yeah. And uh, I bet his family wasn't too happy about that. <laughs> it would have caused a stir. Yeah. Um, I bet a lot of people would have been like, this guy's just a young rebel. You have to remember, he's like a 30-year-old guy. Yeah. Obviously, he's a son of God, but they don't. A lot of people haven't seen, heard his teachings or seen his stuff. All they see is there's this 30-year-old guy casting people out. He's probably followed by a bunch of teenagers. Who does he think he is? Yeah. You know, and they would say Jesus was insane to do such a thing. Yeah. And this would bring some disgrace on his family. Mm. But uh, it's all about his father and doing his father's will, not his own. That's right. Um, and his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Mm. So the Jews replied to him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? Yeah. Gotta love these guys. They always want to sign. Uh, they always want to sign. And Paul picks up on that later yeah, on, right? In yeah. First Corinthians, for the Jews request <laughs> a sign. Now, this book is all about signs, yeah. but he's already given them a sign yeah. and he will do many, many more, yeah. but they don't want those signs, you know? And it's just, it's so interesting what they choose to overlook. And I think it's covering themselves too, because they've mm -hmm. allowed yeah. the selling of these things in the court That's of the right. Gentiles. Yeah. So they're kind of, you know, 
our authority, you know, it yeah. doesn't say it in the text, but you kind of get that mm -hmm. idea. Our authority is the high priest let us do this. Uh, what's your authority here yeah. to kick them out? You exactly. know, we put them there. How can you yeah. kick them out? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Yeah. Now, no one ever understands Jesus. That's <laughs> true. I mean, it's a true statement. Um, I think Michael Card pointed that out, especially in the book of John. Every time he makes a statement, the people misunderstand yeah. it. Um, so therefore, the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build, and you will raise it up in three days. Um, of course, the religious leaders, they don't understand. Um, it took them a long time, because if you look at the temple, this is the one where Ezra and Nehemiah return, you know, they mm -hmm. built the walls. Or let me re rephrase that. They built the temple, then they built the walls. And after a while, Herod comes in, made some of the Jews angry because he kind of decimated some of the stuff was there and then built it much bigger, much grander. But it was a long process. But obviously, these guys are referring to the original process because they weren't big fans of Herod. And they said, hey, it took 46 years to build this thing. Um, you think you're going to raise it up in three days? There's a little nuance that uh, uh, should be observed in the text. Earlier when we were looking at the temple, it was the, the Greek term heraeron, which mm -hmm. means not only the holy place, the holy of holies, but also all the buildings, for instance, where the court yeah. of the Gentiles would yeah. be. When Jesus um, makes a statement here, uh, he answered, destroy this temple. He uses the specific term from naas, which means the holy place or holy of holies. So uh, they, they don't pick up on anything, uh, but it, it becomes the perfect illustration later uh, for us taking care of our bodies as the mm. temple of the Holy uh, Spirit. And you, you pointed out very aptly that this statement is skewed. Uh, at Jesus's trial before the Sanhedrin yeah. uh, in Mark 14, you know, this is the statement about the three days to destroy and raise up. And then poor Stephen gets martyred because <laughs> of the abuse of these yeah. words as well uh, from Acts 6, the statements, and then his slaughtering, being slaughtered in uh, Acts 7. Yeah. Yeah. So just when you look at this passage, it, it makes you think, and we would both give pastoral advice here that especially if you're a pastor listening or just anyone, we give a lot of advice. Uh, we do a lot of teaching. Mm -hmm. And doesn't it seem like a lot of times people don't want to hear your answers? Yeah. Maybe not the majority, obviously. Yeah. But there's a lot of people who just want to talk for the sake of talking. They ask your advice and then they don't listen to you. Yeah. <laughs> I've been in um, forums uh, where I've been one on a panel. And in this open up later on for the group to speak. And you can just tell. You know, the vast majority of the people who were there who should have been taking in what was being taught were there for the express purpose to wait their turn because they wanted to have the, the mic. Right. They wanted to say something. And, and that's what happens with the religious hierarchy. Right. Uh, the people sometimes the same way. They're really not taking in and, and thinking. Listening. That's why Jesus says later on, take heed how you hear. <laughs> you know, Aaron's very important. He has an ear, let him hear. And uh, obviously, they have no interest in sincerely hearing with maybe the implication of obedience to what they've heard. Yeah. And, and we see this alluded to in Matthew 12, 38 through 40. Mm -hmm. These same people approach Jesus later. Yeah. Scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, yeah. we want to see a sign from you. Yeah. 
He answered them, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, Mm -hmm. but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights. So the son of man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. And then we see in verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. Yeah. Context. He's making a point. Obviously, they did not understand it. Exactly. I don't think anyone understood it at that point. Right. Um, if they knew scripture, they might have an idea, but mm-hmm. clearly they were more, they were just angry that this guy just kicked out a lot of their income from yes. the temple. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. about their money. Exactly. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered this and said, and what he said, and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I, well, I obviously grew up under your roof and we watched, we watched a lot of whodunit mysteries. That's right. You know, our, our role was your role and ours now, you know, you don't watch movies that take God's name in vain, you know, don't feed the flesh. That's right. So a lot of times you have to go back. Don't go back to pre-code though. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, you turned on some 1930 movies. And yeah, it's like, ooh, you gotta, yeah. You right after the roaring 20s. Yeah, out. That, was, yeah. that was a bad time. Yeah. But uh, we watch Who Done It and- I really enjoy those types of movies, but they always give you, at least if it's written well, mm-hmm. always they give you one hint. Yeah. But sometimes you have at the end of the movie when you missed it, you have that aha uh, moment. Yeah. How did I miss that? Right. Uh, that was so obvious. And I think the disciples had a lot of aha moments after right. Jesus's resurrection. Um, so many things he said seemed cryptic to them. Yeah. And then later it would have just been like, boom, okay, yeah. I totally get what he was saying. Exactly. So I, I think this is one of those things. I uh, agree. John's telling us about the future mm-hmm. and how when he was raised from the dead, they probably sat there and were like, you know what? He said this and then yeah. it was like, how do we miss that? Yeah. So verse 23, while he was in Jerusalem during the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Yeah. Um, the next chronological passage is Jesus meeting with Nicodemus. Yeah. And it appears that he came to Jesus because of all that Jesus was doing. Right. Now, did he do more than, uh, was he healing the sick? Well, you know, text doesn't really tell us, but at least they got to see him do this sign that he just cleaned out the house, showed his authority. And I say there are a lot of Jewish people like, good for you. You know, mm-hmm. we're not supposed to be messing up the worship of the Gentiles. Um, not everyone was crooked. <laughs> we tend to think this view of that, but no, there's there's a lot of people. And if I could just uh, chime yeah, in for just a moment, I remember preaching through this a couple decades ago. And when you get to verses 23 to 25, it was very interesting because I believe every commentary I had said that this was not saving faith. Uh, in verse 23. I believe everyone, and I start reading uh, the quotes from different uh, commentators on this. And it says here, while he was in Jerusalem during a Passover festival, many believed in his name. Why? For the signs that they saw. And I just want to point out just uh, rather quickly, the word believe appears just shy of 100 times in John's gospel. But when you have the combination of pisteo ace, believed in, believed on, that occurs 35 times uh, in John. All 35 point to a salvation. Uh, It's like in John 1, 12, as many as believed on him, to them he gave the right to become uh, children of God. 
so uh, I think people have to be really cautious because oftentimes we read sanctification back into yeah. salvation. I think that happens with this passage. I think clearly these individuals are saved. Later, because Jesus does not commit himself to them, doesn't mean they weren't saved. I mean, think about it. Peter had been uh, <laughs> with Jesus for three years. Says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You're the Messiah. But And then Jesus goes to wash his feet. And he goes, you're not going to do it, Lord. And what does Jesus say? If if I don't do this, you have no part with me. Does he lose his salvation? No. It's just simply that it, there's a development of fellowship. And that's why in John 15, Jesus says, you know, to his disciples close to the end, if you do these things, you are my friends. So salvation is permanent. You believe on Christ, you know, you're eternally secure, but there needs to be a growth that takes place after that. And Jesus invests himself, it seems like from the scripture, for those who give themselves wholly to him. Just one other quick comment. It's rare. You get Paul. And he gets saved. And immediately, immediately in, in Acts 9, Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, let's be very honest. I, I can tell you after getting saved at age 16. when I know that. <laughs> it took me some struggles. time to yeah. get to that place. That's why you have Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I think for the vast majority of us, we get saved. And then later on, we come to that place where we really better understand who Christ is and give him our all. Look at the, the Corinthians. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. But they yeah. were... Um, I guess I shouldn't say they're all crumbs, but uh, yeah. uh, sometimes we're not much better, it feels like. But you have incest, you have people suing each other, you have disgusting things going around, you know. Yeah. And uh, they were saved. So yeah. I, I think we just have this whole, sadly, in many movements today, it's, you know, they take verses out of context with continuing in the faith in the sense that you must maintain all these good works. And then if you maintain the good works, you're really saved. And you know, you stop and think, but I'll pick up with yeah. you on the Corinthian uh, situation. Some of the saints mm-hmm. came to the communion table and they did it in a way that wasn't pleasing to the Lord. And Paul says, some of them have died. So they went to they, hell. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So no. I just want to, and I just always camp on this, that salvation is salvation, having believed you know, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That cannot be negated. Mm-hmm. But in, when it comes to continual growth and all that, Jesus doesn't give himself fully to people in a sense of working with them who won't be fully committed to yeah. him. And I think that distinction needs uh, to be made here. Because I think it's just a very dangerous road. Um, obviously, as Christians, we bear fruit, yeah. but it comes naturally. But I think there are a lot of people who make a couple wrong choices yeah. And then they're killed or they die or they're in an accident. Yeah. Um, maybe in a moment of rage, they take their own life, uh, foolishness. Uh, maybe, you know, they struggle with alcohol, with alcohol, they drink and they get killed in an accident. Yep. Um, do they lose their faith? Absolutely not. Because yeah. it's not based on their works. Um, obviously, what they did was foolish. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you put faith in Jesus and truly believe, you are saved. That's it. Um, so this whole thing that you have to be saved and then go and do certain works or, you know, be very strong to the end. Cause they, they tend to take revelation where Jesus is talking about the whole thing. You know, those who continue to the end will be saved. Yeah. And it's always in the context of the tribulation, exactly, which is a very different time and scenario. Um, but obviously then it's still faith, but um, people just take so much out of context. So that was an excellent point you made. 
There's so. a philosophical thought today that we are fruit inspectors. Yes. <laughs> you take to Matthew 7, you'll know them by their fruits oh. uh, concerning the false teachers. And I, and I ask people, if you were to watch someone's life, let me say I put you on a private eye mission to study the life of Lot and you followed him everywhere. Would you come to the conclusion he was saved yet Peter calls him <laughs> righteous Lot or in the Corinthian church? What most likely Jesus is referring to in Matthew 7, you'll know them by their fruits. You listen to their message and then you can determine if they really believe the truth or not. Because that's First John 4, 1, you test the spirits to see if they are of God. How do you test the spirit? By the message proclaimed. So I, I think we just have to be really cautious to not think more highly of ourselves to make this investigation into people's lives and determining, you know, that if they don't maintain these great works to the end, there's yeah. an inheritance for those who do. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's that's what we look forward to. Exactly. It's that whole illustration, rose colored glasses. Yeah. You pick your side with theology yeah. and then you put it on and then every text you read, you have to fit it into that context, oh, which too is common. very dangerous, but it sells. It sells. It does. <laughs> Yeah. It sounds very intellectual. Yeah. Um, so then uh, they saw the signs he was doing. However, Jesus would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. Yeah. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Mm. This is a statement of Jesus's deity. Yeah. Uh, he knew exactly what was in each and every individual. So he didn't have to go around, you know, testing all that because he just knows. He, just knows. <laughs> he had a privilege we don't have. Um, but uh, the text is pretty clear there. And it's going to lead beautifully to with Nicodemus. When yeah. Nicodemus comes, Jesus knows what his issue is, yeah. that he needs to be born again. So you're exactly right. Yeah, he's, I, I love his he's God. questions. We'll see next yeah. time. Yeah, Nicodemus look forward to that. asked him something. Jesus's <laughs> answers have nothing to do with the question. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. he actually knows what the issue is. Exactly. So let's look at our employment, what, how, what we can take from this passage yeah. um, and what we can do with it. Sure. Jesus was serious about honoring the Father. Jesus cared deeply about his father and worship. He saw how those in authority had turned worshiping God into a money-making business right. that did not honor God. Mm. This made Jesus very angry. Yeah. When you worship, is your mind set on honoring God or are there other motives? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's the thing. It's all about your motive. That's right. You know, obviously, are you doing your thing in truth? Because sometimes people have great motives, but yeah. they're acting in horrible Good doctrine. Yeah. But if you're acting in proper doctrine, what is your motives? Yeah. Um, as we know, uh, you're an author. You sell books. There's many good pastors, men of God who sold books. That's mm -hmm. not a sin. <laughs> you're not trying to fleece the flock. That's right. You know, you're not saying, hey, I will not talk to you unless you buy my book. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like that, but it's like, here's a resource if you want it. However, that's much different than you saying, okay, there's a lot of, there's a big Christian fan base. Why don't I write muse, uh, books, music, whatever that caters to them that's right. and then make a killing off of exactly. that. And the motive is, you know, greed. That's so right. yeah. here we have uh, Jesus is angry because these people are focused on greed. Right. They just care about the money in the temple. That's it. And question I need to ask myself, yeah. how serious am I about honoring God in worship? Mm. Uh, as you know, it's... Our church, Coleman Manor Bible Church, uh, I help lead the music. Right. Now, I have a different style in the sense I don't like looking at people mm -hmm. <laughs> as they sing. Yeah. Um, partly because I want to really make sure I'm playing accurately. I'm getting my lyrics right, so sure. forth. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, uh, you can still get a sense with people where they're at in worship. Mm -hmm. Some people are just, lo-di-do-di-do-di-do. -do 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 -do. Right. You know, and other people are joking, laughing. 
Um, some people are just not focused. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be hands lifted up uh, yeah. in some worship mode because we have other that you can go the opposite extreme yeah. where it's look at me, I'm worshiping God, I'm Mr. Yeah. Righteous guy right here. Yeah. But uh, we need to be serious about God in worship. That's right. And uh, I think that's important to think about in thoughts. Is worshiping God all about me mm. or is it all about honoring God? Yeah. Would Jesus be pleased or angry with me based on how I honor the Father in worship? So I think that's the way we have to evaluate ourselves, especially with uh, a lot of worship churches today. It's all about party, party. <laughs> yeah. And are we really honoring the Father or is it, it feels good to me? Yeah. And it's so much of Christianity is selfish. Uh, it, it sincerely is. We, we both just finished reading uh, Daniel because we're on my reading plan for the year. And you look at Daniel and even when he is set up, and uh, is going to be killed because of his practice. What does he do? He he goes up into his upper room, he opens the window, and he prays the three times a day. That's worship. Yeah. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. Once even um, uh, there's pressure put on them to bow down and worship false gods, they're not going to do it. Uh, so worship is is so important to the heart of God, but yet he seems to greatly honor those who who want to worship him in spirit and truth. You know, worship's not just Sunday morning. It's not. It's, it's right. a whole attitude. Exactly. So, And then our second employment and final point, mm -hmm. Jesus had authority over the temple. Mm -hmm. Jesus had the right and authority to kick people out of the temple because it was his father's house. Mm -hmm. Jesus said many things, and many of his words are written in the Bible. Yeah. And so he talks about his father honoring him. So, do you honor Jesus's words? Mm. Do you submit to his authority and obey him, or do you demand signs because his words are not enough for you? Yeah. And this is a big problem I see in many denominations today, um, especially the sign ones. Mm -hmm. We need a sign. You gotta, you know, you gotta speak in tongue. You gotta do a miracle. You gotta do this, this, this. And it's like you guys are doing the exact thing Jesus hated. Yeah. <laughs> He hated performing to prove something. Yeah. In fact, he would look and say, no, I'm not going to give you signs. Yeah. And in places where people were looking at him to prove himself, he wouldn't do it. He truly just did it when he felt compassion and wanted to do it for the right motive. So I, I when I see signs and miracles, I look at so many Christian denominations today and say, you guys are doing the very opposite of what scripture teaches. But Hey, you're not preaching the word there. You're you're just talking about tongues, getting money, stuff like that. You keep people ignorant of God's word. You know, you you can do whatever you want. I think a classic text to just amplify what you so adequately said in Luke 16 with the rich man and Lazarus. Mm. And uh, what does um, the rich man want? Even being in torments, mm. it's plural there in Hades. You know, send Lazarus. He's still in his command mode that he might go, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, send him uh, so he can um, make an appearance and, and on and on. So a sign. Oh. And, you know, what's the response? You know, they have the law and the prophets. In other words, the word of God is what needs to be believed. And this is the word and he is speaking to them. And that's what they need to embrace because faith is taking God at his word and acting upon it, and it has everything to do with with a sincere faith and just belief, deep belief yeah. in the integrity of God's words. And I think about the future when all Christians are judged. 
obviously not for the salvation because they're yeah. saved, but they appear after the rapture before the Lord and are yeah. rewarded. Their mm-hmm. works are tested. And I think how many Christians who truly believe the gospel, but who just have bad theology. Yeah. Or um, they take direct commands in the Bible about the church and just throw them out. Yeah. Or say, oh, that was cultural. This was that. Right. This was that. And they just throw them out. Um, I don't want to stand before Jesus and be like, uh, your word was there, but uh, I disregarded it. Mm-hmm. So I, at our church, that's a major thing. The Bible says it, yeah. especially directed to the church. You know, we have all the principles from the Old Testament, things we can learn. Sure. Um, obviously, there's literal stuff, creation, stuff like that. But when you get into, the, especially the church age, mm-hmm. um, those commands to the church, we need to obey. That's right. <laughs> we, that's we right. Can't, and even uh, Jesus's kingdom principles, because we're living in, in the spiritual kingdom of God, um, we need to try to apply all those important uh, principles he taught. That's right. So, you know, loving our neighbors and so forth. Amen. Doesn't save us, but it's important for us to do. That's but right. we need to obey God's word. So do I respect Jesus's authority by mm-hmm. obeying his word? Mm-hmm. And our final thought, am I a man or woman who has placed myself under Jesus's authority? Yeah. When I read his words in the Bible, do I simply obey them? Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of churches move away from Bible teaching because it's very convicting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> because a lot of times you're reading, you're like, I blew that or I'm not doing that properly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot easier to whoop yourself into a frenzy and just have a three hour worship service and a pastor come out and say, Hey, we're cool. God loves us. You're a sinner just like me yeah. and not really dive into the word. Yeah. When Jesus um, addresses the seven churches, it's like, whew. Yeah. I mean, he's there, he's walking in the midst of the churches, if you yeah. will, clipboard in hand, and he's evaluating them. And I mean, he lays out assessments and uh, it's, it, you know, there's no yeah. foolishness that he's um, tolerating. Yeah. Uh, it's all about sincere worship. It's about loving God first. Yeah. The church at Ephesus, you know, don't put materialism above me. And uh, it, it, people need to get this right now. They and, really, the uh, church of Jesus Christ does. You know, with our church, if a member, because obviously only members are under our authority. That's right. We'll have guests, we'll have people come in um, who are in sin so forth. But if it's a church member and you know they're they're in sin, you confront it. That's right. But I always you know, encourage people, if you're a church member and you're you're doing some secrets and please don't do it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you don't, don't mess up others' rewards because of your own stupidity. Exactly. So um, our question was, why was it justifiable for Jesus to kick people out of the temple? Mm-hmm. As the son of God, he had the authority and the right to oversee the temple right. and to ensure that his father's house was being managed correctly. Right. And then our main thought, um, your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So what authority does God have over your body? Yeah. And this is what you alluded to earlier, 1 yeah. Corinthians 6, right. 19-20. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. So God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit have total moral authority over your body. Um, And the Holy Spirit, as we know, even lives inside of it. So you have to ask yourself, am I going to submit my body, mind, and soul to the Spirit? You know... um just a quick comment on that. Paul's question expects a yes answer. He already taught them those things. That's why they were in such a mess because they were not uh, using their bodies as they should have used them. And that's what gets all of us uh, into trouble. And just before you close out, though, 
Uh, you know, I was thinking this is uh, our seventh podcast that special. Uh, but is then it I'll- complete? <laughs> yeah, the seven numbers were, were complete. Hopefully, the Lord yeah, won't yeah, shut yeah. the series down <laughs> at this point. But uh, also, I remember uh, you'd mentioned my writing when I had done my first book. I, I can't believe number 11 is coming out soon. But when I did my first book and just how special that was, you know, for me, it was a monumental uh, occasion. Uh, you know, recently you have um, released uh, some of your um, animation series. Mm-hmm. And it's so superbly done. Just for those who don't know, we are the left and right brained uh, pastoral staff. Um, predominantly, I'm a left brain kind of guy. I work with logic. I work with uh, language and I love it. And Kenny does too, but uh, he has a leaning to the right brain with the creativity. And he had recently uh, released um, some of uh, the the videos uh, from his new series, which I'm going to let him talk about in a minute. But just to commemorate our, our day, I thought, what can, you know, dad and son do that would be just memorable and we would never forget? And the answer is to each enjoy a can of beanie weenies. <laughs> you know, is there anything better with a celebration and each having a can of beanie weenies? So with beanie weenies coming for our lunch shortly, uh, congratulations. I'm very <laughs> proud of you. I think the series is awesome. Much more to do. And, but would you take a moment and just please share, uh, what you've created and, and any other details that you, and, and, and I promise I'll pay attention to you when not my beanie weenie can. It shows we're, um, a very low financed. <laughs> We're <laughs> not living the high life with their beanie weenies. <laughs> there they are. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's an animated series. So, it's, I wanted to create something. Uh, one of the problems I found out, or at least I noticed with my own youth, is that a lot of Bible studies are more towards, uh, they're more youth group driven, which are games, mm-hmm. you know, not as much driven towards the Word of God. Yeah. You know, you come, you play, you have all your games, you have all your fun, and then you just have a little Bible lesson, you snack, and you call it a day. Which I think that's necessary for getting the gospel out. Uh, that's very important. So we, we have a format like that. We call it uh, Gospel and Games. Yeah. It's gospel formatted, outreach to youth in Colmer mm-hmm. Manor. But then I also have a, a Bible study mm-hmm. that is for preteens, but it's focused solely on scripture. Yeah. You have worksheets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, over time, I thought, you know, why don't I create this into a curriculum? Mm -hmm. So I started learning how to animate and so forth. And I've made this um, animated series where each episode's about 12 minutes, 13 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I want to go through every narrative in the Gospels, Mm kind of like what we're doing, but actually every narrative, not just what Jesus spoke. So we have these fun stories, but then it gets into the actual Bible text and then has a whole section on how they can apply it. Now, a problem I found with curriculums is a lot of times when you buy them, sadly you buy them because they cost a lot of money, um, they're not ready just to teach. So I created keynotes and PowerPoints, all the worksheets, um, everything. My, I even got with my mom and you know Becca and we created uh, recipes. So you can take this curriculum, you download it all for free onto your computer. And please note everybody free. It's all free. It's um, yeah. We're not making any money off this. So right. it's all free. And then you take it into your classroom and you can just teach your kids and it has uh, keynotes, PowerPoints, worksheets, Bible memory, coloring pages, all original artwork, 
Um, and like I said, it's free. So it's theology for everyday life for kids.com. Thank you. The four being the number four. Right. So theology for everyday life for kids.com. You can go there, you can see the latest episodes, you can download them, and then you can just, uh, it's all free. So it's a resource for the little guy. I've always considered myself the little guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not the big church with my big budget. Yeah. Uh, we, we, God provides for us, but we create most, yeah, beanie weenies, exactly. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I created something for the little guy who can just download. It's also fun. The grandparents, grandchildren, whatever, can watch yeah. um, with their grandkids and really learn the Bible, not just looking at big stories, but every story in chronological order I'm working through. It's going to probably take about 12 years. Uh, 13 uh, episodes a season. Yeah. But uh, that's what I'm working on thank now. Thank you. So thank you for letting me share that. You're welcome. And that was podcast number seven, Jesus's first temple cleansing, which was taken from John 2, 13 through 25. Uh, join us next time as we continue in the Jesus Said That series, looking at every word Jesus spoke in the New Testament. And I think you already know by now, but I'm Pastor Kenny Burge Jr. And I was joined by my father, Dr. Ken Burge Sr. We'll see you next time. Bye.